Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee. This is the Autosport Podcast. Well, last night we got the confirmation from Alpha Tauri that their driver, Nick De Vries, would be leaving dismissed from the F1 grid instantly and replaced by Daniel Ricciardo for the remainder of the races this year. Dri- changing a driver halfway through a Formula 1 season is not particularly unheard of, but it is reasonably rare, although when one of the Red Bull family do it, it perhaps raises fewer eyebrows. And we will discuss today on the podcast what that means for Nick, for Daniel, for the teams, for the grid, and for Formula One. I'm joined by Autosports' Jake Boxall-Leg. Jake, last we heard from you, was on Saturday night, live on stage for the qualifying podcast. How was the rest of the British Grand Prix for you? Oh, it was very good, thank you. Very, very busy, as you can imagine. Um, you know, you usually go to the, the British Grand Prix weekend and you think, oh, it's nice and easy, I don't have to travel, uh, I can do it. More, not quite from home, but, you <laughs> yeah. know, rock up at a leisurely time and that kind of thing. But actually, once you're there, it's still the same kind of pressure cooker. Um, a lot to get through on uh, Sunday night, just because uh, I had other obligations, so I couldn't really let it spill over into Monday. So it's been a busy, busy weekend. Um, and this week doesn't uh, seem to be taking a, a, a couple of days off either. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So I'm trying to get my head around the timeline. And I'll explain to our listeners why I invited you on to the podcast today to explain. It's because in your professional past, you worked with Nick DeVries. You covered his races as a, as a motorsport journalist. And so I think you are you know, uniquely placed to get a, a sense of where he came from, his achievements and his uh, his successes, his championships, um, and also what this means. And also, uh, so I get a sense of the timeline. So from what I can understand, Daniel Ricciardo had a Pirelli tyre test at Silverstone in the Red Bull, not the Alpha Tauri, uh, but in the, you know, in the, in the mothership, as it were, in the rocket ship as it were it turns out that he was pretty quick i'm not saying anybody would be quick but daniel ricardo is a quick driver in a very quick car um and perhaps that suits him more than the mclaren uh, and perhaps the you know the renault as well which he didn't really hook up his career at those at those teams so he was back at back at red bull silly rumors flying around about him replacing sergio perez despite this awful run of perez not going into uh into q3s kind of unacceptable really but Luckily, the car in Verstappen is good enough that they won't impact either of their championships. Um, but what was the timeline of 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 this? Was it that that Daniel Ricciardo did a tire test? Everyone went, "Oh, he's really good. 
he should be one of our drivers. Or was it in the works already? Can you fill us in, do you know? Um, so the the tyre test for Ricardo had been planned for, for quite some time um, because as, as Red Bull's nominated third driver, he was always going to have several outings for the team, not necessarily in practice sessions. I don't think that was particularly the plan for promotional and other activities such as uh, a Pirelli tyre test. And it kind of, you know, made sense for Red Bull to to put him in because um, when they sort of scooped him off of uh, McLaren's doorstep at the end of last season, let's just say he wasn't in maybe the best headspace and they weren't really sure what had gone wrong at McLaren. He admitted to picking up some kind of bad habits with regards to his driving and that kind of thing just to kind of get the McLaren to work to his liking and that didn't really pay off. So after a few months in the sim, um, getting himself back on form, the plan was, you know, obviously do what Pirelli wanted them to do at the tyre test, but it, it kind of gave them a, a, a sense of where they where he was at. At the same time, De Vries has been has been struggling at AlphaTauri. We know that it's um, kind of been a running theme of this season. I think you know people were talking as early as after Australia, maybe after Baku, after Miami, with regards to this is the Red Bull pressure cooker we're talking about. How long are they realistically going to give him? Things didn't really improve enough for Silverstone to their mind. The car was very, very poor there. So I th- I don't really know what more he really could have done, given that Yuki Tsunoda was uh, hardly much further in front. Given all of these things, they need to do something with De Vries. There need, in their mind, there needs to be something to do. I don't know whether it was immediately after the tyre test that they decided, let's put Ricardo in. I think this has been sort of bubbling for a little bit. And um, although there had been kind of discussions that would Ricardo want to drive an AlphaTauri and maybe sidetrack his bid to come back to F1, actually it seems that he's very, very pleased to actually get behind the wheel. For the Red Bull family, it just made the most sense for them to, to give it a go. So why do you think he's gone now, though? I'm mean, only two races away from a summer break. It's a month off. It would seem like a, a reasonable time to give him at least until then. And then it's, uh, uh, it's you know, it's more time. It's rather than kind of rushing Daniel Ricciardo into the seat. Why has Nick de Vries really gone so soon? It seems to be the case that, that Helmut Marco may be regretting his decision a little bit. And maybe he didn't think that de Vries was the driver that he thought he was, even though, you know, he's been around in and around kind of the F1 paddock and the Formula E paddock for a very, very long time. So he, he is a very much a known quantity. With regards to F1, he does have limited experience. And even though he's 28 years old, he's still a rookie. He still needs time. But I think Alpha Terry came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to give him that time at any point. I think they'd come to the decision that they didn't want him around for next season. It seems that they're going for a different approach with the entirety of the team, and that includes the the drivers as well. It, It became very clear that he was kind of persona non grata at this point, rather than drag it out for a couple of rounds and say, we might give you a chance to see if you can improve. If they're in a situation where they've got they made their minds up regardless, there's probably no real sense in dragging it out, to be honest. If Ricardo is keen to do it, put him in the car, see how see what happens, then they'll decide for 2024. I, I do agree, it's a bit of a weird time frame to do it. I mean, he's got like what now, uh, a week to prepare for, for, for his F1 return. It does seem like a very, very condensed time frame, but you know, if he if he's feeling up to it and he's fit and he's ready, then again, you might as well have a go now. Why Why did Nick get an opportunity in Formula 1 in the first place, having waited so long? If we sort of go back a few years, he used to be, for a very, very long time, a McLaren junior driver. 
I guess Ron, did, not quite protege. That's not quite the word, but um, he was a, in a way that Lewis Hamilton probably was a Ron Dennis yeah, he, protege. Yeah, okay. he was definitely you know someone that Ron Dennis thought was the next big thing, and he was uh, fantastic in Formula Renault, made the step up through the through the championships. Then when Ron Dennis was was removed from his post in charge of McLaren and Zach Brown came in, he wasn't really the young guy anymore. Uh, Lando Norris was their guy. De Vries, you know, he he still retained some McLaren backing through 2018, even though Zach Brown had been in charge of the team for about a year. He was let go at the end of that season. And so he didn't really have the backing of a manufacturer team. He won the F2 championship in 2019 without any, uh, you know, again, backing from an F1 team. But he kind of came to the attention of Mercedes and ended up driving for the team in Formula E. Simultaneously, he was doing a reserve role for the team alongside uh, Stoffel van Dorn, who was in the other Mercedes Formula E car as well. Um, I think Toto Wolff had taken kind of a bit of a shine to them. Both drivers that had kind of been let go by McLaren at one point. Both drivers, obviously, with, with quite a lot of talent. Drivers that could do a very, very good job as reserve. So that's kind of basically how they ended up in that situation, how De Vries ended up in that situation. And then obviously going on to win the Formula E title, this sort of gave him the opportunity to take on expanded duties as a Mercedes reserve. We saw last season that he was doing practice sessions for for Williams and Aston Martin and Mercedes as well. And it, it got to a point where he was the nominated reserve for about three or four teams on the grid. <laughs> um, and then the Italian Grand Prix came around exactly. and they're all like, uh, can we use you? So what happened there where he kind of got this this audition last year in Italy? You know, he'd, he'd been around that weekend because he was doing the practice session for Aston Martin. And then Alex Albon was ill and uh, he's basically the first guy that Williams knock on the door of because they've got a seat uh, that he's fully fitted for. Uh, he's available and he's um, willing to go at the drop of a hat. So mm. he's not going to turn that opportunity down, even though Williams last season was probably a little bit less competitive than it is this year. Um, it was obviously a car that was going to do decent things at Monza, given its kind of proclivity and high-speed conditions. He did get lucky with his grid position overall in the race because there was a, a huge amount of penalties before um, before the Grand Prix. Mm. There's one thing qualifying high up and there's another thing staying there. And he did a fantastic job to stay in that top 10 and eventually scored ninth place. And, you know, he was ahead of faster cars the whole race. Sure, there was a bit of a DRS train going on, but it was racing that he wasn't used to in an environment that he wasn't particularly experienced within. And he did a really, really strong job. And I think that caught the eye of um, of the Red Bull hierarchy. It definitely caught the eye of Franz Tost um, in particular. Tost isn't always the one that necessarily makes the driver decisions at Alpha Tauri. So mm. it did take, I think, a little bit of lobbying on their part to get De Vries into, into the car for this season. Um, the plan was always to put Colton Herter in the car. Even though he's been a very, very strong driver in IndyCar, he's he's not won a title there and he's not racked up, I guess, the junior career needed to, you know, he, he's been racing in America for the last few years. You know, the last European championship he raced in, I think, was Euro Formula Open. Mm. You're not going to get many super license points for that. So he'd been, because obviously he'd been racing in the US, so he just didn't have the super license points to, to do it. So the plan then was, do we do we stick with Pierre Gasly? Gasly didn't really want to stay. He wanted to take the next step up and uh, Alpine sort of eventually had a, a slot available when Alonso moved to Aston Martin. This 
created a wide open goal for, for De Vries. And I think Tost and uh, Max Verstappen as well did a lot of lobbying on De Vries's part to get him into that seat. It was a little bit off the back of one race, but at the same time, you know, it was, it was kind of a long road and maybe he should have got to F1, let's say, a little bit sooner. So he was good when he got an opportunity to go and actually drive the car. He was good in the Sims. He was good doing a development and setup work. Where has it fallen down as teammate to Yuki Tsunoda, who, if we can bring in another perhaps thread to the conversation right now, has taken a long time, I think, to warm up to Formula One. Now, you could be a little more cynical and those cynics might say, yeah, we're realists that they that Red Bull as an organization need Honda not to just disappear. Honda are Japanese, Yuki Tsunoda is their man. Red Bull powertrains or not, a very successful operation for them at the moment, still very reliant on keeping Honda sweet until 2026. Yeah, Yuki Tsunoda has perhaps had an advantage there. But how has Nick compared to Yuki as, you know, as a rookie in Formula One to his teammate who's been around for a few a couple of years now? Well, I think they've had very, very different trajectories into Formula One. Um, mm. Sonoda, you know, he'd been racing in Japanese F4 as recently as 2018. Um, then he went up to European F3, not knowing any of the circuits, with... Uh, a team that's regularly at the bottom of the field. Uh, it was back in the GP3 days. This is Genza, and it was back in, in the F3 days. And yet he was one of the more impressive Red Bull drivers on the, that grid that year. Um, the fact that he won a race with with Genza, um, I think, made Dr. Marco think, all right, let's give this guy a chance in F2 and see if he sinks or swims. And he did admittedly swim. Um you know, driving for Carlin, uh, very, very solid and strong team. I think it was kind of the environment that he needed um, up against some strong opposition in Mick Schumacher and Callum Mylott for the title that season. But he still finished third overall in his first season in that car. So, and then he went straight up to F1 season after. Whereas De Vries, he's been on the kind of precipice for such a long time. He's had to go and do other things. But I think the gap between them, obviously Sonoda having coming into the season with two years of F1 experience and De Vries having kind of fleeting testing experience and one race under his belt, there's still a huge gap of experience. And in modern Formula One, having that experience is just super important because you get so little testing, so little seat time, anything like that. So for De Vries to, to kind of go in, um, actually help the team sort of uh, quite a lot regards to its technical development because you know the the car this year was, was is just not there at all um for him to kind of try and make things a bit better you know he got stuck in he got involved but ultimately it's just a case of the timesheets and in the first 10 races he's just he's slowly caught up to Tsunoda but not necessarily at the rate that Rebel was perhaps expecting him to and I think <laughs> that's just ultimately yeah. I, I you know I, I think that you know given the full season I'm I, would firmly believe that they'd probably be probably on times about the same level. But unfortunately, he just wasn't going to get that time. Um, yeah. So let's work out what this means for all the various parties involved. First of all, what does it mean for Daniel Ricciardo? He's now going to be driving the worst car on the grid. Statistically, I'm not being mean to Alfa Tauri in, in 2023. Um, it, it, it is the worst Formula One car 
that's racing this year. Uh, what does that mean for him? So he came through the Red Bull Junior program, or Red Bull Junior team as it's called, probably 10, 10 years. When did he first drive a, um, an, a Toro Rosso? That would have been 2012. 20 so he's over. It's ele- yeah, like it's 11 years on um, from, from graduating from that junior team. And so you know, a fabulous journey in Formula One with Red Bull, didn't work with Renault, didn't work with McLaren, and now everyone's you know favourite smiling Aussie, and the Aussies are happy because they got two drivers on the grid now with Oscar Piastri as well. So you know, go team Aussie. But what does it mean for him? Because he's not going to be scoring points, is he? I think on on a day where a lot happens, uh, there will be the possibility, but. It's really, really hard to see, and this is especially in the context of last weekend where AlphaTauri had quite a lot of updates to the car. They were sort of quite wide-ranging, actually. Uh, new side pods, new floor, new pretty much more or less about 50% of the aerodynamics were probably new, maybe more than that. And uh, at all of the media events, Sonoda was just like, well, it doesn't feel like it. It just feels kind of the same. And... So the team isn't really making steps forward with this current car. And so, and as we all know, staying still in Formula One, you go backwards. (laughs) So it's very, very hard to see regular points, certainly. But what it does do is that they have, you know, two and a half years data on on Sonoda now. Um, They know where he stacks up as a driver. And um, they can use that as a yardstick for Ricardo to measure up against. And this isn't necessarily with a view to, um, you know, getting him the the, the AlphaTauri drive for 2024 and him basically being in a holding pattern for a year. This is with a view to where they go with the the, the second seat in the lead team. This is where they go with regards to Sergio Perez's future. And so by having him in a race drive and having him at all of the race weekends for the rest of the season, all of the the, the 12 or 13 races that are left, um, they're going to be in a position where they can assess his progress, the, the the progress that he's kind of made, the the rehabilitation almost, if you like, over the last six months in the simulator. And then they can make a decision where they go with that second seat in, in the lead Red Bull team. Because after the first few races where Perez was mega, he's been completely just <laughs> off of Verstappen's pace hugely and to a point where you look at guys like Gasly and Albon where they didn't really live up to Verstappen and they didn't really get much of a crack of the whip now Perez is in that situation where he's probably a similar gap if if not more with recent qualifying performances if you take that into account behind and there's going to come a point where these teams behind them, this gaggle of what is now four teams of Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari and Aston Martin, they're going to eventually catch Red Bull. And to have Perez floundering and having to do recovery drives every weekend, that's going to become more and more difficult the closer that field gets. So they've either got to make a decision of where do we go with that second seat? How do we win Constructors' Championships having two cars at the front? And if Perez is going to get knocked out in Q1, get knocked out in Q2 every weekend. Why not assess Ricardo as a failsafe? Wow, that's a really interesting thing to think because 
I guess I hadn't joined those dots that you just have in that through the times of Kvyat and Gasly and Albon, they weren't dominant with a car like the RB19. So yeah, they're going to win the world championships this year and next year. And no, they won't win them with as many points for constructors as perhaps they would like for the record books because of uh, Sergio Perez's failures this year, particularly in qualifying. But yeah, you're right, I guess, as as they can already see that other teams are developing, converging. I know some people, you know, Lewis Hamilton says that the McLaren is a... Um, is a Red Bull ripoff, and some people says, you know, uh, you know, is he blind? It's an Aston Martin ripoff, and people say oh, the Aston Martin's a Red Bull ripoff, and so uh, with that convergence, I guess you're right. In a more competitive season, the Perez's failure to qualify and perform would have been much more of a disaster than actually what it, you know, materially will be. What do you think this means for Yuki Tsunoda? I'm trying to again connect the dots for his career because if Daniel Ricciardo comes in, known quantity after the tyre test, known quantity in the sim, and Tsunoda performs well, we're just playing a little game of you know hypotheticals, and performs well against Daniel Ricciardo, what does that mean for him? Because again, if there's a question mark ever over the number two seat at Red Bull and until 26 there'll be that Honda influence within Red Bull racing could it be a good thing for Yuki again it depends if he beats Daniel and uh, if he can then there's no reason why he can't go out and try and earn that seat or merit and you know he's an Alpha Tauri driver he's a Red Bull bat driver that has to be his aim he has to be aiming to take Perez's seat be that at the end of 2024 or because F1 contracts are really worth the paper they're written on before that. So he's got to perform at the top of his game now. And having De Vries in the team, I think Sonoda was doing a very good job in trying to be a supportive teammate. He spoke very, very highly of De Vries in, in media sessions and things like that. So he was obviously trying to be sort of like an encouraging figure. And at the same time, now that Pierre Gasly's gone... He's taken on that team leader mantle. I think he's done very, very well with it. Um, now it's about the next step because you have this known quantity in the second car. You have Daniel Ricciardo, who's a race winner. And he's, of all of Verstappen's teammates, the one that pushed him the furthest. So if he's not like damaged goods, I guess, given the fallout of the McLaren uh, issue and he's back to kind of where he was before, that's such a good benchmark to have because... When it comes to Sonoda's future prospects, if he beats Ricardo, he's putting himself in the best possible window. And that's just exactly what he needs to do. Uh, and then if he can't do that, then, you know, that's that's another question. So what does this mean, if we connect a few more dots, for Alpha Tauri? So Franz Tost, as much as he is the boss right now and, and has had his moments this year where he, he said he doesn't trust his engineers anymore because at the beginning of the year they didn't have the performance bolted onto the car that they had led him to believe. And he publicly, publicly uh, castigated what they had told him. Um, discuss amongst yourselves whether that's the best management technique uh, to uh, you know win friends and influence people. Uh, but So we have him leaving the team. There's a new CEO at AlphaTauri and uh, Lauren Mekis coming in as well from Ferrari when Ferrari release him. At the time, at the same time as there's perhaps uh, more interest in Formula One, so more teams want to come in, which dilutes you know the, the money in Formula One. Speaking of which, less for AlphaTauri 
than ever before because they're going to be at the back of the grid this year on top of losing that sponsorship. So we don't even know what the team is going to be called in 2024. It won't be called Toro Rosso, <laughs> they've confirmed. But they want it to have some sort of link to Red Bull because they're losing... You know, AlphaTauri is just an is just a, a sponsorship deal. And so we have uh, new team members. We have a, a, a great name in Daniel Ricciardo coming in at a time when they're at their lowest ebb and a time when we have sadly obviously said goodbye to Dietrich Mastitz, who was... Uh, driven by a love of you know, of sport, of motorsport, and and invested a huge amount of money in in owning, you know, twenty percent of the Formula One grid, and so questions around the sale of the team, which they have categorically denied. What does it mean for the team to make this driver swap? Well, it's part of their new philosophy, and the plan going forward into twenty twenty four is to have a young driver and an old driver in the team. Um, what kind of shape that will take it remains unknown uh, and given that he'll have three years of experience does Sonoda classify as the, the young driver or the old driver we just don't know at this point in time um, but it's all part of this new mentality and what they're going to do going forward technically is try and take as much rather than sort of taking a few bits from I guess Red Bull that they that they can do um, they're going to try and take as much as they can out of it and then try and move towards a little bit more of a I guess I guess almost like a Haas model really in that you've got this yeah. Haas hub if you like in in Maranello and they design the car and it's all a lot of for ex-Ferrari engineers that are kind of seconded to Haas um to develop mm. a car two very distinct different distinct cars um obviously given the regulations but they just take as much as they can from the the I guess the parent Ferrari team so they're going to try and do something like that and um I guess the logical step would be to, I guess, have a separate team at kind of Red Bull Technologies to 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 work with the current AlphaTauri engineers as they are. They're going to sort of uh, expand their facilities at Bista as well because they're split between Bista and Fianza in Italy and Fianza will probably just be, you know, the marketing and uh, the salespeople and that kind of thing. Bista will be the true engineering base and they'll be able to link up with Red Bull a little bit better. So it's all part of this big change in the mentality of the team. Um, and obviously, as you said, Peter Bayer is the new CEO and Laurent Mecchia is coming in as team principal. It'll be this kind of new start, I guess, for the team uh, with a new name as well. The new Red Bull people uh, at the top, uh, Oliver Minslaff, for example, who's, who's taken over as CEO of uh, Red Bull GmbH, was perhaps thinking about it, but Mark Mateschitz, Dietrich's son, was was very, very keen that Rebel keep two teams in Formula One. So that's what they're going to do. And um, they're just going to try and make it a little bit, I guess, more profitable and more performance and, and various other things like that. And I'll finish off by uh, by talking about, well, that, that famous Red Bull Junior team that's brought many people through into, you know, Red Bull racing into, into Toro Rosso. Uh, so Christian Klein and uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, Vincentonio Liuzzi, uh, we mentioned Kvyat and Albon and, uh, and Gasly, Sebastian Buemi, um, Jaime Algashwari, if you go back, and uh, Jev, Carlos Sainz Jr., loads have been through, and so many more through, have benefited from Red Bull sponsorship um, that maybe never even made it further up the motorsport ladder. A countless number of really good drivers who've had that Red Bull sponsorship and continue to. But there is a current Red Bull Junior team full of young drivers who will probably be looking at the old boy from Australia coming in 
and and thinking, well, what have we got to do? You've got the likes of uh, Dennis Hauger. Liam Lawson's a name that I keep seeing. He's racing in Super Formula. People are saying, well, why don't they put Liam Lawson in? But I don't, I know, I don't know a huge amount um, about him. Um, uh, Jack Crawford and, and more as well. Where does this leave the Red Bull Junior team if they're, if they're going to have this new philosophy of, well, the AlphaTauri team has a mix of experience and, and you know young talent, exuberance, but maybe that seat's held by the Honda influence for now. So it's going to be frustrating for those young drivers to see that route perhaps closed off a little bit more. Yeah, certainly. And given that there's about six or seven different Red Bull Juniors in uh, Formula 2, for example, at the moment, um, it, it just seems very, very difficult for them to to you know as you say make a stamp on on where they're going to be and then of course you you have got Liam Lawson who has been mentioned multiple times um he's currently sitting second in the super formula championship over in Japan um which was where they put Pierre Gasly after he'd won um the GP2 series back in 2016 he spent 2017 there and then he got the surprise call up to to Toro Rosso back then so this is kind of a similar situation with that but in they've not called up their super formula driver this time they've called up a you know their old flame um <laughs> so it's a slightly different dynamic so you do wonder if they trust Lawson enough if they have enough faith in him to become a formula 1 driver but i do remember at the time they kind of had that with Gasly and he won formula 2 um gp2 as it was at the time was one race away from winning the Super Formula title before um, one of the races was was rained off. I think there was a typhoon or something like that. It was definitely inclement weather, um, but still got the chance in Formula One. Um, so you do wonder what Lawson needs to do. And then, as you say, there's a, a host of other drivers in, in F2, but currently the best one of that crop is probably Ayumu Asa, who is... I think third in the title at the moment. Uh, he's a race winner this season. Um, he's a like Sonoda. He's sort of a Red Bull slash Honda junior protege as well. So theoretically, you could go with Sonoda and Iwasa and have a sort of Japanese super team almost. Um, I think that's probably if they were going to promote a young driver, that's probably their best bet. There's other drivers like you mentioned, Jack Crawford. Uh, there's Enzo Fittipaldi, uh, Zane Maloney. It's probably a little bit too early for them. Um, you know, Maloney has been sort of relatively impressive in recent rounds, but again, it's probably a little bit too early for quite a few of those youngsters. But again, when Daniel Kip, uh, when Daniel Kvyat was uh, thrown into F1, he just won the GP3 title and was hmm. thrown straight in with the Wolves, and he actually did a decent job. So. Maybe if, you know, Helmut Marco likes a driver enough, he'll, he'll give them the chance. Ah, well, thank you very much. We'll see. Nine days' time. We're nine days away from the cars rolling out. 12.30. Well, 1.30 local time, but 12.30, as we'll be watching it here uh, on a Friday afternoon with Daniel Ricciardo in those AlphaTauri overalls, and we'll see what he can do. Are you going to be travelling to Hungary, or is uh, what's your schedule for that race? I will be in Hungary. I'll be in Budapest, and uh, I've been there a few times before, so I'm looking forward to... Uh going to some ruined bars or actually no I mean doing some very very hard work so <laughs> of course yes the boss might be listening uh, get that expense claim in uh, thank you very much as always we look forward to reading your coverage your writing your reports and everything that you do to, to uh, read the uh, to bring the rest of us the readers of Autosport uh, online and the magazine the fans of Formula One uh, the story of uh, what happens there thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one
Sports Social Podcast Network.